you on grid five over it consists of three worlds of the past locking in now worlds where you can live out your every fantasy there's roman world the lusty decadent delights of imperial pompeii notify ground crews medieval world chivalry and combat in 13th century europe and west world Lawless violence on the American frontier of the 1880s. Each resort is maintained by reliable computer technology and peopled by lifelike robot men and women. Let's stand by for resort activation. Ready on six, on five, on four, on three, on two. Activate now. are programmed to provide you with an unforgettable vacation. Dinner at 7, breakfast at 6.30. Get lunch on your own. Don't look like much here, but we have everything. You mean to tell me he's a robot? What'll it be? Uh, vodka martini on the rocks with a twist of lemon. Very dry, please. Just give him whiskey. He's new in town. Many elements of the Delos Resort are potentially dangerous. That's part of the appeal. Go on. You say something, boy. Kill him. designed to provide all this in complete safety. In Westworld, frustrations find release. Desire ends in satisfaction. Funny handling. And all in a controlled environment. That's not supposed to happen. We know you'll enjoy your stay in Westworld. Hold it. The ultimate resort. Let me do it this time. Where nothing, nothing can possibly go wrong. I'm shot. Go wrong. Raw. Go wrong. Oh Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Adam Walker, and joining me as always is Brandon Hayden and Peter Martin's ex-wife. <laughs> That's me. What's up, guys? Uh, not much. Uh, glad to be back in the hot seat with y'all. And we have our sponsor for this evening. And our sponsor for tonight is Brenner Bullets. For the modern gunslinger on the go, every shot's got to count. Every bullet has to be accurate. Brenner Bullets are coated with a high-tech polymer that ensures speed and accuracy the second it leaves the chamber, headed for your target. 
So choose Brenner Bullets or you'll be sorry. You'll so thank you, Brenner. be sorry. Yeah. So thank you, Brenner Bullets, for uh, sponsoring today's episode. And I might just get into guns now. Yeah. Jesus. Well, join the club. Probably Brandon yeah. the most. Brandon's the most gun gun guy of, of this trio. Yeah, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit he's of gun. a uh, he's a gun nut. A, I'm a bit I'm, of a I'm gun learning nut, a yeah. lot about you fucking assholes today. From my from my cold dead hands, am I right? <laughs> well that is thematic because tonight's movie we are discussing is John's pick. Here we are with John's pick at the top. And it is nineteen seventy three's Westworld. Right, John? Yes, indeed it is. Indeed it is. So, John, um, I'm going to hand it off to you if you want to go ahead and take it away, my man. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm excited about this. Uh, Westworld, not the, not the HBO show, the original movie uh, released in 1973, um, written and directed by Michael Crichton his, in his directorial debut, um, starring Ewell Brenner. From The King and I. I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't really know a whole lot about Yul Brynner. Besides- all you got to know is he is steamy. He is a, he's a good looking man. And I think he's just naturally bald, balded at a, at a young age. From what I read. Yeah, he, he's, uh, he's scared me for my entire life. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, yeah. yeah he, has a, he cuts an imposing figure. He's the original T-1000. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, Richard Benjamin, James Brolin, another another handsome fella, Alan Oppenheimer and Dick Van Patten. Um, great, great cast. Uh, I I always come up with my own synopsis instead of just reading it off the internet. So here it goes: um, a vacation for two friends at an amusement park designed for adults to mimic the experience of living in the actual Wild West. Turns into a disaster when robots intended to cause no real life harm malfunction and wreak havoc on their guests, much to the dismay of the tech staff in charge. What do you guys nice. think of that? I yeah. think that's I think that's well put. Sounds great. Yep. Budget of uh, one point two million dollars and box office gross ten million. Did quite well. Yeah. Yeah, um, we got we got a hit on our hands tonight, finally. Yeah, and you know, um, I mean, obviously we'll get into this later, but like this is yet another one of the movies taped off of cable by my grandfather that I saw when I was like a baby. So that um, you bring it up that it is Crichton's debut uh, directorial uh, movie. Did you do any research to like his, you know? his stories, Jurassic Park and um, yeah. some of his other works. Were they, did he, was he writing all of that stuff back in the seventies or earlier? No. Or did so that come I mean, later? A lot of that stuff did come later. He, I think he wrote Jurassic Park like in the eighties uh-huh. from what I read. Um, and, uh, but yeah, he, he had established like a, a pattern of like, I'm trying to come up with like the best way, like the best name, like, I don't know, like technological criticism almost like, you know, like, like we, you know, kind of like the ongoing theme of like, we will destroy ourselves, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's man versus nature, but man pushing it a little too far. 
Exactly. Yeah. And like a little too much. I mean, he's a very interesting guy because I I started kind of like going down like a wormhole, just like reading about Michael Crichton just because of this, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, seemed like a pretty interesting guy. Um, And definitely, definitely influential in terms of like putting these ideas into film. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate his uh, criticism of man's flying too close to the sun. Um, Seriously, yeah, it's awesome. And like Jurassic Park is something – like that's – I knew the name Michael Crichton from just being a kid and going to see Jurassic Park. Didn't, so didn't like, he write Congo as well? I yes. think so. Yeah, he did. Yeah, so Michael Crichton, pretty pretty cool guy, honestly. Um I have some other things that I will I'll mention later about him. Um, but yeah, this is uh this is a movie that, that obviously did well at the box office. Um, critical reception, mostly positive. Um, it was basically seen as like an exciting and riveting sci-fi thriller. Um, mm. However, there were a few people, notably Gene Siskel for one, uh, that criticized it for its second half. Um, kind of specifically stating that the the first half is uh, exciting and provocative, but the second half – this is a specific Gene Siskel quote straight from Wikipedia that I found interesting. Illogical and meandering chase story is how he mm. describes the second half of this movie. Um, Perhaps Siskel had a bad time at the Driscoll Adventurelands. And uh, <laughs> this is his negative Yelp review because that is I think, I think, foolishness. I think he- I think Gene Siskel might have gotten put in jail for the entire time he went to Westworld, and that's why he's so kind of salty. He didn't have enough yeah. sand to shoot the sheriff, or I don't know, yeah. use some dynamite to get out. He thought he thought you could just go there and kill anybody, but then when he found out that the sheriff is going to put him away for a little bit, he's like, yeah. "Fuck, this what ruined f- my entire goddamn vacation." Yeah, what a fucking wet blanket. Yeah, oh, he always. Always is a wet blanket. But I will say that that quote, I read that as well. And it's interesting he said that because I will probably come to that when I talk about what I felt about the movie. So, yeah, I uh, I am not completely off. I was not completely off put by that statement from him. Um, and as much as I love this movie, like I, I can – can be open to certain career. I mean, not from fucking Roger Ebert though. Anything that guy says, fuck him. But Gene Siskel, I mean, they, both, they both said dumb fucking things, in my opinion. I mean, I'm just, I'm just saying that Gene Siskel is, as far as I'm concerned, can say some dumb things, and I'll be like, all right, let me hear what you got to say. Roger Ebert, I'm just already hitting with my car. Just man, just, just when he says hi. I take umbrage with that with that Siskel review because it's like the first half of the movie's oh yeah boys playland everything going good for the guys I mean that that's kind of boring to me I was waiting for something bad to happen you know yeah totally like I said I don't want to step on my future yeah. dick on sure. this but yes that's that's definitely something I want to come back around to. With this discussion, yeah I, yeah, I want to talk about that too because I don't necessarily think that's exactly what he was saying. Um, yeah, but for sure, yeah. Let's uh, let's continue on here for right now. Um, yeah, so some criticism there. I, I don't know if I if I disagree with it, but we can go into it. Um, 
But yeah, for the most part, I would love to just go around and just discuss like what we knew about this movie prior to this, you know, to watching it uh, this week. Uh, so I'll I'll go ahead and start with that. I, like I said, I saw it when I was a kid. Um, just to, uh, in my grandfather's arsenal of movies taped off a of cable. I never had cable. Uh, so it was always a big deal visiting my grandparents and seeing what he had there. Um, and yeah, this movie just was like fucking scary to me. Uh, I can see it being terrifying to a, a child. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one of those movies where it's just like anxiety ridden. Cause it's like, <laughs> fuck, what, what are they, what, what are they going to do? <laughs> you know well and i think as a child too it probably it really touches it triggers certain you know specifically child related kind of memories or or interests in the sense that like as children you know most of us probably wanted to or went to amusement parks we interacted with in- animatronic characters we entered into yeah. a realm of fantasy like that, and it's it's considered like that is a source of joy and a source right. of fun escapism, and like that's what this movie is about. It's extrapolating that feeling that we have as children onto adulthood. It's that adult yeah. escapism that gets tainted and you know turned nightmarish <laughs> when yeah. things go awry like that. I think it's not like even for a kid. I mean, I, I was probably like maybe six, six mm. or so when I saw it. But um, I think it's not even hard for a kid that age to at least grasp the idea that these people are on vacation. Yeah, you know, like like, and you, when you're a kid, you can un- you're starting to understand the concept of being on vacation, and like that's like a treat, you know, like it's a special thing. And I think that like when you're a kid and you start to see movies like this, where it's like, it's not just like an everyday conflict, you know, it's like something just like hitting you like a ton of bricks and going wrong, like something going haywire. And it's Mm. like, it's, it's scary. You know, like the, the vibe of that is, is frightening. Well, I, I, yeah. And I mean, kid or adult alike, you're supposed to go on holiday not thinking about what could go wrong. I mean, that's yeah. like the last thing on your mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're going to be pampered to be taken care of in some environment, whether it be in a resort or a theme park or some vacation where there's a tour guide or something. You're being pampered in such a way that you don't have to think about the stresses that come along with just living life. Um, yeah. so this is like tenfold what happens in this movie. It'd be like, uh, I guess the equivalent maybe for kids would be like getting on a roller coaster that breaks down in a terrifying way or oh flies off the track yeah. or gets derailed or something. And then the adult version would be if you're expecting to get your dick sucked by a robot. But you get you get stuck up by Yul Brenner. Instead, your friend gets shot through the shoulder. Yeah, I think right. I think that's right. Or you go to Showbiz Pizza and you get stabbed by one of the animatronic, <laughs> you know, robots. Or you go to Chuck E. Cheese and Chuck E. Cheese blows your head off. 
Right. What a bummer that would be. Um, as far as my interaction with this movie, I was gonna, I was gonna say, uh, I actually didn't, you know, was I wasn't really that familiar with this movie for years. I watched it pretty well into my adulthood. I'm pretty sure I saw it before the show came out. And so I've seen it a few times before tonight. I'm going to say that much. I'll just leave the rest of my discussion for later. So I am familiar Uh, with this movie. I see. Okay. Yeah, I'm a first timer here. First timer. Oh, nice. Uh, nice. Welcome to the first timer club again. Thank you. Thank you. It's, It's nice to be here. I, uh, Never watched the show. I've I saw the name, but um, I never had the what, what. It's a HBO show, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I never had HBO till recently, so I didn't give a shit about it. Um, wouldn't have known that it was you know the genesis of it was this film. Um, didn't know the premise of it at all. In fact, I knew so little about this that I didn't know that Westworld was a spinoff from this movie when you mentioned it. Um, and I will say that I was taken aback. I was pretty shocked about how much I liked this movie. Just because, I mean, it's, yeah, you know, um, going into it, I'm going, okay, it seems like a pretty interesting story. 73 cowboy you know i don't know western pictures that kind of kind of slog along sometimes but this yeah uh, totally. this was a different thing and and <clears throat> kind of how it rolls out and then i looked into a little bit of the research and oh it's a Crichton movie that totally that's hand and glove it makes total sense and, yeah uh, right on that heightened my appreciation so i will say that I'm very excited as I, as I always am. And as I'm sure you guys are too, when I find out that somebody's just seeing this, um, uh, one of our picks for the first time, that's awesome. Yeah, it's great. So that being said, gentlemen, would you like to move on to the good, the bad and the questionable? Let's roll it. Let's roll it. Let's roll on in. Let's roll on into to, to good town. What is your name? Uh, Gardner Lewis. Just got back from Westworld. Tell us how you liked it, Mr. Lewis. When you played cowboys and Indians as a kid, you'd point your fingers and go bang, bang, and the other kid would lie down and pretend dead. Well, Westworld is the same thing, only it's for real. I, I shot six people. Well, uh, they weren't real people. What Mr. Lewis means is he shot six robots, scientifically programmed to look, act, talk, and even bleed, just like humans do. Now, isn't that right? Well, they may have been robots. I mean, uh, I think they were robots. I mean, I, I know they were robots. Yes, the robots of Westworld are there to serve you and to give you the most unique vacation experience of your life. Thank you, sir. So here we go. The good, the bad, and the questionable. Starting with the good, John. This is your movie. I'm gonna let you rattle it off. Uh, exactly. Let's do it. I'm gonna rattle it off. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, I've got quite a bit to say here. Uh, I'm. I actually went back and edited all this and put it in chronological order, just so it's kind of like that's flows good. Flows a little. Bit. I, I, um, I like that methodology. I prefer that. Yeah. So starting with the Delos. Uh, the Delos commercial. I like that the movie starts with this commercial before the credits even start rolling. I, I think that's a really, really 
I mean, it's not the first time it's ever been done. It's not the only time it's ever been done, but I really like that. It's, it's a really cool kind of like non-traditional way to start a movie. Um, it adds to like this immersion of like getting sucked into the reality of this film before you even really know it's a film, you know? Yeah. Um, and I don't know if, if you guys would agree with this or not. I kind of was hoping to bring it up, but and it kind of breaks the fourth wall in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, the 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 commercial um, host, I guess, is talking directly to you. Right. True. But also. In in a, in like in a conceptual way too, it almost breaks the fourth wall because it like it it puts you in a situation where you're looking at this as if it's like a real scenario. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's he's he. It's a commercial before the movie. It could have very well been a commercial for the. It's kind of like Jurassic Park comes out. Universal Studios has a commercial for their yeah. Jurassic Park picture. You know. Uh, advertisement or whatever. Yeah, it's almost a like promotion in a way, like a promotional tool. Yeah. So I really like that. I thought that was just – it's just like a fantastic start. Um, I love that there's uh, – immediately establishes that there's three different worlds and not just Westworld. Mm-hmm. I think that that's immediately interesting. It also really does a good job of setting up what happens to one of the other guests because you're able to kind of know that this is not just happening there. You know, um, and it it adds to the depth of like the terror. You know, um, I like the story and direction of this. Um, it's like a bleak and terrifying reality. It's it, it's 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 an unrealistic idea that seems believable while you're watching it because it's not overly dramatic, which is my take on this. Is and. Uh, you know, open to, to hearing your thoughts on this, obviously. But I felt like the fact that like you could look at this plot and be like, okay, robots aren't real, you know, but they're not overtly dramatic about the way that any of this happens. It's like, it's the drama is kind of left out and you're basically just watching something that seems real. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, there are things that I want to say to that and I'm not sure where to put them because you're going through goods, but yeah, well, I mean, that's cool. You can, you can respond. I I would think that this movie abstracted from the time it was made at the time it was made. Yeah. This is completely surreal. This wouldn't happen, but now it's obvious that people are trying to make their experiences more and more tangible in real life all the time. Take, for example, being in a a smut shop and they have these realistic dick, asshole, vagina combos that are like modeled after a specific real world person. (laughs) You know, they're trying to be full immersive and you just, I, I can see this if this was rolled out now, if this movie, let me take it back. If this movie didn't come out in 73 and it came out now, I would say that I I would definitely disagree and that this is a plausible thing that could happen. But at the time that it was made, I, I, I would agree with you completely. Well, let me, let me maybe rephrase it because I'm mostly just kind of praising the, the, the direction and the writing Um, because 
it's not necessarily that it's it's literally whether it's realistic or not, but I just feel like I mean, this is obviously not akin to like the time period. So like disregard that part of it. But like Michael Bay, for example, right? He could make a movie like this and it'd be like, fuck you. You know? Right. But the way but the way that this movie is made, it's like it's done so modestly and so like not overtly dramatic that it really adds to the reality of it. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put that. I, I actually really I didn't think about it that way, but I like the way you frame that. Yeah, I, I like that too. It's like they they move over a lot of the stuff in such a way that it feels like it's just understood that this is this is real. Right. Exactly. It's a it's a very mature it's like a very mature directing style from yeah. from Michael Crichton uh, and I really appreciate that. So that's and like, it, with it being his first time out directing, that's big big props. Right? Much yeah, respect. Dude, this guy this guy was not flexing. Now. You know, but at the same time, big flex. Sure. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, yeah, so I like that. Um Yule Brenner, his portrayal of the gunslinger really, really reminded me of like, uh, you know, 20 years, like nearly 20 years prior to the T-1000, Robert Patrick in the, as the T-1000, like two decades though, like really, really breaking ground. I mean, I just, I see so many similarities between those two characters I would say even so much so to the original Terminator. In fact, kind of jumping ahead a little bit here, uh, but uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger specifically said that he used this character as inspiration. Yeah, I have that in my my wormhole, my wiki wormhole. I have that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, totally. I mean, for sure. I just, uh, you know, if you think about, you know, it being 11 years before the first Terminator, what, 18 years before T2? I mean, like, it's just really, really interesting to see something happen. It's like it's like when you find out that there's, like, you know, a garage band that came out before the Kinks that had, like, right. like a punk sound to it. It's like, holy shit, man. People must have literally been shitting their pants when they saw this. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, anyway – um, I'm almost done here. Richard Benjamin and James Brolin's performances I, I highlighted. Um, they're just very likable and realistic portrayals of regular people experiencing this the same way that regular people would experience it. I, I feel like it kind of adds to the feeling that you might be experiencing this yourself when you watch it. Like right. just two very regular guys, again, pointing to like the – the not overtly dramatic writing in this, just like very laid back. And like, I just, you really feel like you're getting the experience of this the way that you should. Yeah. From those two performances really had a lot to do with that. And then finally, I just love the way that this movie just ends kind of full circle with like the, the commercial slogan, like playing back in his head and repeating itself like psychotically. Yeah. Like, I just love the way it ends, and it and there's really not like a like a an ending that like kind of calms down and just breaks down. It's just like, all right, now you she, have to deal with this shit. Yeah, like <laughs> and just, whichever way, yeah, he's gonna sit down moments after 
seeing this killer robot die. You know, it's it's like it's like the end of Terminator. They at least kind of like cut to another scene where it's like you've established a new setting and like you're looking kind of into the future. Yeah, it doesn't end like that. It's like it's it'd be like if it ended right when Sarah, you know, pushed the thing and crushed the yeah the Terminator. It's it's kind of open ended as to how he's going to carry on. It's it's very indicative to me um, of the end of the movie Duel, where Dennis Weaver is just sitting on the cliff, just pondering the day that just happened. You know, there's and then the credits start rolling. That's it. I mean. There's nothing, nothing more to infer, you know, you are left as puzzled as the person in the, as as the character. They're just trying to figure out how to carry on now. (laughs) Totally. And there's, I've always found something extra creepy about movies that just end, even if it doesn't, they don't all just end the same way, but like two things that are popping into my head right now are like Night of the Living Dead and The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Two movies that just kind of end with like some bullshit, and it's like there's really no, there's no breakdown. I agree. Like there's no there's no tangible resolution. Right. Right. So you're just the the hypothetical is with you know with his character Richard Benjamin's character. You you want to think that that's the end of his turmoil. But there could potentially be more shit that he's got to deal with. He's just yep. kind of stuck there. He's lost in this wherever the park is. It's clearly out in the middle of nowhere. Right. How right. is he going to get help? What the fuck's he going to do? He's stranded. Maybe there's some more robots that are going to go fucking haywire. Then he's got to battle the, them. The entire staff is apparently dead. The whole exactly. Everybody the whole staff's dead. dead. Yeah, so yeah, man. I agree it, with and you. you. As the viewer, are left with this pile of bullshit. I, I, it's like <laughs> maybe it, maybe it's the uh, maybe it's the, uh, the self deprecative nature of of my life wanting this, but I I, I feel good about it. <laughs> I do too, and I think the reason that I feel good about movies that end like that is because that is more accurate to life. There is no clear cut answer to anything. Yes. Yeah. There's Indeed. lots of options and there's lots of there's lots of ways that it can go. It's really just like how, in which path do you care to spend some time going down? All of them are equal in that regard that you are here and there's all these paths to take and it's just up to you to figure it out. I like that you brought up that it's like that's just life because like if you think about it yeah, they could have taken the route where like the scene fades to him back in in Chicago, just kind of relaxing and dealing with the aftermath of this. But like, that's not that's not the reality. Like, you're not going to fast forward to that. You're going right. to be you're going to have to sit down for a minute and be like, "What the fuck am I going to do?" Yeah, you know. So that's it. That's like I'm. I'm sure I'll praise many more things about this movie as we go on. But that's my list of. Uh, the, the goods that's yeah. yep that's, that's good it was a good succinct uh set of of highlights uh i will add a little bit to that and then brandon you can add your 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 piece as well because i don't have a whole lot to add to that um specifically i love yule brenner kind of already touched on that but yule brenner is 
genuinely terrifying in this. And yeah. just, I think, as an individual, from what I've gathered, he seems like he might have been a pretty intense guy. So he's the perfect <laughs> person to portray this character. <laughs> Absolutely. So... He's a, the type of person that I'm not convinced that I would want to know in real life. Right. You would want to know, but if you didn't know and you just saw them in public, you'd be like, ooh, what's this guy's deal? Uh, <laughs> um, one thing I want to talk about with Crichton is I'm not necessarily saying that he always gets this right, but one thing I do like about Crichton's directing and his writing with movies is he at least attempts to kind of close some plot holes and pays attention to detail. And one in particular spot in this movie that I think where he does that, he doesn't quite fully work it out across the board, but he at least tries is when they're having that discussion about the guns, maybe misfiring or what if they hurt, you know, another park attendee or you know, somebody that's there and he justifies saying that it wouldn't happen because there's a censor. I like the fact that he at least made that attempt to try and you, you know, clarify that, but then it kind of falls short when you, you think about all the other ways that a guest can get hurt, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, that's actually in my questionable. So maybe we he, can touch more on that. Sure. But, yeah. but I like it at least that he makes the attempt and, there's a lot of like things that I can kind of tie into this movie with our discussion with deadly friend. Cause we're talking about AI once again. And I think with this movie, it at least fixes some of the issues that existed with deadly friend that I had where at least this works on a larger scale. You have a large complex that is clearly financed by a lot of money and it attracts wealthy individuals to keep it going. So they have, the research and development facilities to actually build complex robots, as opposed to a fucking kid that somehow figured out how to build a robot, you know? <laughs> so totally. that helps at least kind of fix that problem for me. Um, I also want to just, I just want to add to what you said there, like the way that the dialogue between the two main characters, like the way that he does explain like the, the guns, for example, you know, like yeah. just the dialogue between them is so like realistic and like it, it just, right. it, it flows very well. It doesn't seem contrived. It's just like an actual conversation two people would have when they start a vacation like that, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, and one of my goods I also have that might run a little counter to what you were saying is, I like in this movie, though, that it gives you the uh, this kind of theme of the rich getting their comeuppance. Now, James Brolin and Richard ben Benjamin's characters, they're an exception because they are likable characters to me. Now, I don't know how much you've seen the show, but in the show, basically the equivalent characters to these guys are much less sympathetic. They're They're clearly written more as being these kind of slimy, super rich white guys that are just going there just to really play out their worst fucking desires. Whereas these guys, they seem like they're just trying, they're just a couple buddies trying to have some fun. But then you have all the other people around them there that are on the flight that are clearly rich people 
that you know have the, the money show, to yeah, burn. The show, the show takes on kind of more of like how they portray the people in Hostel. You know the movie Hostel, yeah. where it's yeah. like it's like it's like wow, these people are like fucked up. <laughs> right. Totally. You know, like so yeah, it, they kind of make it more like that. At least they try and make the characters a little bit more sympathetic, even though the overarching idea is these are rich people that just have money to throw at things and haha look that you just got yours, you fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So. And you know, I can honestly say, I can honestly say I don't really want anything bad to happen to Peter or John in this movie. No, totally. And- like I'm bummed out when when John gets shot. Oh, yeah. He's a very, very likable guy, and he doesn't really do or say anything that's, like, fucking stupid. Yeah. He's just kind of like a cool, cool, handsome guy, you know? Right. Exactly. I um, agree. Yeah, everyone in the show everyone in the show can fucking die for all I care. <laughs> you know? They're all really bad people. Um, yeah. The other thing I want to add was I like that there's a nice balance of comedy. There's some comedic relief in this. Totally. You know, it helps break it up a little bit. So it's it's a good mixture of having those thrilling, tense aspects, but then then there's like a funny bar fight, and there's one scene in particular that I like is when Dick Van Patten becomes the sheriff and he comes out and he, he's all trying to act like he's tough shit. And he tries to get <laughs> yeah. back into his his office and he can't open the door. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's a, he's hilarious in the movie. And also like the fact that they add that comedic comedic relief, but like for the second half of the movie, like it's virtually non-existent. It's really, it's, it's good. They did it like that because it's almost like a light switch that they turned off. So you could really get a sense of like the mood that's right. going to change, you know? And that's, that's where I disagreed with Siskel's summation or critique of this is I actually really enjoyed that third act a lot. The whole chase scene. I think it really ramps yeah. up there at the end. Me too. I, I, I would totally agree with that. I mean, it piqued my interest when everybody in all of the parks start just getting fucking ruthlessly murdered. Right. It shows a little bit of Roman world and a little bit of medieval world, and people are just getting fucking killed by the dozen. Just the bushel of people just getting murdered. Loved it. Do you like just to just to like play devil's advocate here because this is something I was thinking about when I was kind of analyzing like what Siskel said about this. Do you think that maybe he's saying that it's almost like you have this simplistic plot that kind of it almost seems like it's going somewhere but it really doesn't like like yeah. it starts out like a like a very simplistic plot but it almost like it almost like veers up and foreshadows like it's going to be a bit more complex and then it just doesn't really do that could that yeah. be maybe what he's getting at with the second half it could be i mean with my first i like to do this thing where i predict what's going to happen with characters early on in movies i haven't seen yeah, I thought for sure that um, um, Brolin's character, what's his name? I can't remember. It was John. Yes. So I thought John was going to be like an over, undercover plant coming back because he'd already been there. The Express, that he's already been there before. Coming back in to blow the camp wide open or he was like a double agent or something. And mm. then none of that happened nothing happened it just went 
everything went awry for some reason. Uh, yeah. Kind of, it, it, it was a complete 180 from my expectations of what was going to happen. They don't really explain the malfunction. No. And that was, that was something else that kind of like was criticized in that whole paragraph there that I read but, on Wikipedia. Yeah, but I I didn't I don't I don't want to cut off this part of what you wanted to touch on, Adam. Um so I'm just gonna No, you say, you actually go ahead. I'm done. So if you need to okay, kind of Okay. All right. So um with that, you know, part of a huge part of my good, I mean, this is always a win for me to touch on what you were saying, Adam, that Crichton tried to ham up some of the unsolvables for us as a viewer. You know, I'd love the fact that they show the R and D crew picking up the, the robots at the end of the night when everyone's bedded down goes yep. in, it shows not only people, it shows animals. They got a horse yep. on there. There's obviously <laughs> this horse. rattlesnake, you know, it explains it. Everything is moderated and maintained and I think that that actually it helps that the the roundtable that they have when they go. I think that there's a, for lack of a better term, a virus going on throughout the worlds with the robots, and they're trying to think on their feet because this is obviously a huge publicity um, experiment. These amusement parks, you know, they seem to be pretty new with all of the commercializing and stuff. They're like, oh yeah. Just come check out this new thrill, you know, for adults. Uh, and they had that round table and the one, the, the other scientist or whatever big wig in the R and D department, he's not, everyone's safe. Nothing's going to happen. I think it's rash to shut the park down, but they had that discussion. That's a huge win for me. I mean, well, if that's not, what they go. Not, that, that's what they would call famous last words right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> but but it's a huge win for me on that. That's my immediate questions. I come into these movies and I have these just there's all of these things like do they just get new robots every day. I mean, you know, and the, the he made a valid attempt at hemming up some of these pit plot falls. Um, that's a huge good for me. I love that. The only part that I would disagree, the, the only reason I would disagree with that is, is it gives us less to make fun of. But Yeah, well, right. But well, I mean. And, and and that's what I was going to say when I was watching this, this time, the whole time I was thinking, Brandon's going to love this yeah. because of those, what they would call quotidian aspects. Right. They're, they're able to explain those minutiae details in a way that will satisfy the more pedantic types. Well, and I don't, I don't <laughs> doubt that this type of round tabling happens at Disneyland and places where it's like, well, this ride was a bit glitchy. Well, okay. Well, they got to make this choice. Are we going to run it again? You know, well, yeah. just run, we'll just run it to the end of the day and then we'll shut it down. It's like, well, that's kind of a risk, but somebody has to make that decision. The fact that they showed us kind of what happens or what potentially happens in a person like me, my mind, this happens all the time at places like this. Machines break down. The 
that they show us the like war room decisions that go on. It's yeah. Behind the scenes. Yeah. It's all, the under, under the, behind the curtain kind of stuff. I love that. Um, I thought the casting was good. I, I really liked when they're on the, um, the like hover vessel to get to the, the parks and um, um, Peter's, just incessant asking of questions to his friend, you know, what, what are the guns like? Do they give you one of these belts, the strings or the no strings? I think <laughs> a string would be better for a quick draw. And then when they, you know, and his friends telling him it was so accurate how somebody would respond if they've already done this thing. It's just like, yes, a little irritated, but yeah. he's excited for his pal. And then he, just like, so I mean, they, they transfer the elements of little of children's excitement to adults perfectly in that scene where they put on the earphone for the instructional. And then, and you know, he asked John, Oh, are you going to, are you going to put on your earphone? He's like, I've heard it already. And then he's talking about Roman world, talking about medieval world. And then when Westworld comes up where he's going, he gets the smile and he looks at his friend and he's all excited, you know, doesn't give a shit about the other worlds. And then, you know, obviously there's this, there's a, the, the, couple behind them and the one guy is excited about medieval world and then his wife is more excited about roman world so i'm just guessing they're going to go to two different places because he gets all <laughs> like ho hum that she's excited about this lustful playground yeah i like that part uh, the, the, <laughs> dude it's I, so awesome that they don't go to the same worlds <laughs> right well uh the the thing to that point is like you know where the comedy is in with in the movie and it's not comedic like oops com- comedy which i we lambast about these movies all the time or we enjoy is the comedy the bad com- you know it wasn't supposed to be funny but yes. just how fucking horrible they rolled this out it's hilarious in this movie you know where comedy is supposed to be and they make an attempt at the at the plot holes. Um, those right. are my big, those are my big goods for the movie. And that goes a long way. I mean, I love the final act. I love that just shit goes wrong everywhere at once. And this dude is just trying to make it out. However he can. I love that. Yep. It's, He's being it's, pursued. Uh, I mean, you're, you're totally right. It's like the Genesis to the Terminator in a lot of regards the whole Skynet Cyberdyne systems becoming self-aware, that whole idea. And then just the constant hunt and pursuit for this person. Um, and there's really no rhyme or reason why I love that ambiguity as well. It's kind of cryptic. It's just kind of, it's like, it's like animal farm is to four legs. Good. Two legs. Bad is to AI, <laughs> you know, it's just robots. Bad. Robots yep. bad. Something Machine goes wrong and they've got one target. It's all they know. Right. Right. And I like that, yeah, that Crichton was working out these ideas back this far that he was going to revisit with the the disaster that could beset somebody at the amusement park. Yeah. <laughs> the disaster of when profit and commercialism and commerce uh, for the sake of entertainment – is put before safety and sure, human life. Right. 
And that that, yeah. that that criticism was coming out in the 70s when a lot of these parts, I don't know when Disneyland opened, but I got to imagine if it was open in this time, it was in its infancy. And it's like, well, here's a counterpoint. Watch my movie. Yeah. This is a strong, <laughs> valid counterpoint. This shit can go wrong before you even realize it. Well, it's a counterpoint to even like that, something that just every day or I guess non-science fiction, but as a counterpoint, yeah, obviously to the development of AI, which we're dealing with now. Yeah. The, the, the just unchecked, unchecked development of something that, you know, if it, if there isn't some way that it's being researched and legislated or regulated in some way it's it if it's just purely for like hey let's see if we can do this and see how much money we can make and you know it's you know science it's all about uh coulda not shoulda then this is what could potentially happen sure so yeah uh but that yeah that basically wraps i mean everything that both of you collectively touched on were in my goods as well. You know, the pacing, the way the story is just immediately immersive. It feels like it's a real deal from that commercial to just how they're talking to one another, the two pals going out on this adventure. You know, it's it feels very lived in. Um, and that's saying a lot for a movie that is so far stretched from, especially at the time, believability, you know. Yeah. Anybody got anything else? You want to move on to the bad? Yeah, let's move on. Hey, yeah, let's let's do it. Uh, bad. I don't have a lot. I guess I'm kind of revising this now that we've had this discussion. But if I had a bad for me, it it is something about the pacing. But I think along our discussion here, maybe that's kind of intentional. Is the pacing is because we're talking about how this movie does a good job of showing those in real time kind of scenarios if this would happen yeah and that's what totally. makes the, the movie more believable but it does kind of slow the pace a little bit until it ramps up for that third act i feel it's, like it's illustrative it's illustrative of what this would really be like though you know right and so that's like it's it's in in some ways it's obnoxious, but in other ways it's extremely creative to to have your your film pace itself in a way that is like an example of what this is really like. You know? Yeah, because it's like it's like you're putting you're putting the comfort of the viewer secondary, and you're putting the art first. You know. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I get that for sure. So maybe not so much a bad for me anymore. Um, one bad I do have is, I believe, and this kind of ties into the questionable as well as, I do have issues with the believability of how advanced the robots actually are in this, <laughs> as far as being able to bridge that gap of them clearly being human but then the way they actually do end up interacting with some of the 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 guests at the at the resort so um that is one yeah. thing i had 
I, I um, would have. I think I would have appreciated it a little more if they had uh, expressed like um, a little more hangups. You know, kind of artificial hangups with the robots. Like they say us a, a phrase. Kind of yeah. repeat a phrase, or if they would have made more mention of Yul Brenner, the gunslinger, like, oh, there he is again, you know, I mean, the same guy. Or if like John has been there before, you would think he had seen the gunslinger on a previous trip or something on his previous adventure to Westworld. Thought that might have helped it feel a little more believable to your point about them being so realistic that, you know, they do try and tie it up that. Oh well, the hands—it's the only thing they can't get right. But that doesn't come into the movie more than once when he right. hands the coin to the uh, hotel keep or whatever. One thing I want to add to that, Brandon, is that like there's somewhat of an inconsistency in the robots mm-hmm. because I would I would argue with you actually that like Yule Brenner, like the gunslinger, and then the 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 prostitutes. Are kind of like Arletta or Nat or something. Yeah, like they're kind of Daphne, I think. Um, They're kind of like withdrawn in a way to where it's almost like you you can explain that there's like really not a lot of personality that is going into this AI here, and therefore it is almost like an exemplary of like a setback, like a a, like a lock in technology, right? Yeah. Right, but then you've got someone like the like the the head of the brothel, right? Who is like extremely personable and like right. well spoken, yeah. and it's like what the fuck? Like she's a robot too. Like that doesn't that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, you know? they, I mean, they kind of go on when when he's talking about the gunslinger when he when uh, Peter finds that tech who's trying to fix the tire on his little go kart. Yep. Yep. Like, it's a it's a it's a gunslinger. It's either a four hundred four model or a four hundred six, and if it's a four hundred six, you're fucked, basically. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, again, it's like there could be more personable uh, brothel maids. There could be, you know, less personable. But to argue with you further about you potentially arguing my point, <laughs> I could see that women in a brothel, whether they be human or you know real life imitating art or vice versa, they probably don't have much to say, you know, let's just get in there and fight a gunslinger typically is a man of few words. So they might've been trying to model it after these tropes of, I mean, I could see it both ways, but there's no real clear answer. Um, You're right. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't really, we're, we're not really led to, to, we're not let into that world. You know, where like they're designing the AI's personalities, you know? Well, and as far as my bad, my explanation for it will come more when I get into the questionable. Sure. As far as why I feel like there's an, there is like a plot, somewhat of a plot issue late, you know, that I'll explain later with the believability of, of the, of the advancement of the robots. Um, That's really it for me. I felt like when I was watching it, also, that I enjoyed the concept more than the movie itself. So, but it is an enjoyable movie. I do like it. Again, I've seen it several times. And I feel like this is an example, too. What Once we kind of start having this discussion, 
it kind of helps maybe clarify some of my issues for it. Sometimes that can be good or bad. You know, we've had this kind of this thing come up before where there's movies that were like, we love this movie. And then we start picking it apart. I'm like, I hate this movie. I think this is an instance where I like it more now that we're talking about it. So yeah. Anyways. Uh, so I got a couple things to add to the list of bad or critiques. Um, specifically, uh, the, and it, this kind of seems to be a theme with some of the things we've been talking about for the movie. It's great for the movie. It, it's perfect. But I personally take umbrage with Richard Benjamin, the guy that plays Peter. <laughs> I mean, I think he's perfect for the movie. He's to me, seems like some city slicking normal guy he's a lawyer they say he's like some attorney or something he's just so meek and mewling you know he's just like this frail little guy and <laughs> i mean that's perfect like the guy who plays the sheriff he's a total fucking pushover too but in this world it allows them to be whatever they want or whatever you know i can i can get along with that but just having to me as a viewer being subjected to watching this guy for the entire picture as the leading man, that's a bad for me. Yeah, it's a bad, I, I wish, I wish John would have lived. <laughs> well, that's all. Can I offer a counterpoint to that then? Yeah, yeah, Cause I course. think that is actually resolved is I think that's an, an intentional thing with his character is displaying that his friend is, the more masculine, tough, self-assured individual of the two. But look who ends up dying and look who ends yeah. up being the better shot. Right. So I actually like that aspect of it that you go into it thinking, oh, this guy, he's a fucking wet noodle or whatever. And you would think he's going to be the dude that gets blown away. But no, he survives his fucking buddy who's been there before and acts like he's all like a hot shot. He's the one that gets... He gets fucking, he can't shoot that fucking rattlesnake for shit. He gets Not bit by sure. the rattlesnake and then it gets blown away by the gunslinger. But so I think that's actually a good, in my opinion. Okay. There's a little bit more to that bad. I, I was thinking of it as a separate bad, but it, now that you said that, I feel like I should add that the other major bad for me in this is from the final act on from the third act we're calling it um when the the robots completely turn on everyone and there's this just bloodbath through the three worlds peter's lack of concern or you know genuine fright seems so uh missing the mark from where it would be I mean, yeah, he's had a couple days to get used to the idea that he's killing people and he's doing these bravado kind of actions. But when it comes down to, okay, I'm seeing that there is no one here to help me. And if there is, I can't tell if they're a robot or not because they're too realistic. And now I'm running for my life. I really wish that they would have made him make more mistakes and just act more on like uh like panicky maniacally panicky because that's who he is in real life it seems like he's the meek mewling pathetic 
wet noodle that has to go to an amusement park to feel like he's got any kind of machismo about him. Just to challenge that for a second, don't you also kind of get the vibe also that he's just kind of like a very boring guy that's not overtly expressive in the first place? Uh, yeah, I get, I get that. I, I get that, you know, he was like a family guy or whatever. He's probably pretty wrapped up in his work. But that sort of makes me feel like he would be more reactionary to what's happening because he's so bland and boring and all this is happening at him. He clearly is concerned about his mortality. He's clearly concerned about, you know, oh, well, what's it like when you get there and stuff? Unless those first few days in Westworld completely took all of his anxiety away. I don't buy that once the robots have full autonomy and is now pursuing him to kill him, that he wouldn't just be uh, almost fetal, like paralytic with fear. Okay. I, I do have my counter to that brother. Have you ever had robot pussy? Do you know what robot pussy will do to a man? <laughs> we'll do wonders for you. Anyways. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's, I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with you that he's not panicking per se, but like, I don't get the feeling for one second that he's not like terrified and fearful when he's being chased. And like, I do think that you could see it in his face when, when he sees like, John, you know, go down, you know, his friend. Yeah. I mean, like, he doesn't, like, react like a crazy person, but I think you see the moment where he's just like, wait, what? I guess I guess what I wanted, I mean, I'll play along because the movie is good enough to me that I can, I can tolerate it. I can't say I'll overlook it, clearly. But yes. what I wanted was more Marilyn Burns, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And what I got was uh, was this fucking guy, this like mewling, meek turd, um, Richard Benjamin. You know, I just I, I with as good as the movie going, was going, going for in me, kind of hard on this guy. That's the thing <laughs> with the with the as as good as this movie was going for me, it let me down. Crichton kind of let me down there. I feel like it was just a slight overlook for a guy who pays attention to the details. Yeah. But that's hey, it. That's all I'm going to say. I, 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 back, I back your commitment to this. <laughs> uh, John, do you have any bads? I have one, I have okay. one and it's just one. So it'll be over quick, but I want to emphasize it dramatically like I always do because it fucking drove me crazy and I hate it. (laughs) All right. So my bad is when they're on the automated, you know, when they're being transported after they've they've landed, right? And they're being transported via like the little carts, you know, the the golf carts or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And – the the automated recording the lady says nothing can go wrong yeah listen foreshadowing is cool but this is some fucking 
amateur D-list bullshit. Dude, right you here. wouldn't say that shit before someone gets on their fucking flight. You wouldn't say it in real life, and also like, even if in some bizarre world you would, like, don't fucking put it in this movie. This is too good for that. Like, I was pissed when I went back and watched this and I'm seeing this lady go, nothing can go wrong. Fuck you. This is like (laughs) – this is this is a movie where we know that something's going to go wrong. We don't need you to foreshadow it like that. Foreshadow it some other way if you have to. But like that was so contrived. It's – even just thinking about it is making me pretty – I agree. Just imagine yeah. getting on the next Delta flight. You got to fly to anywhere. And it's like, yeah, thank you for flying Delta. We're not going to crash. There's no <laughs> way that we're going down because the like, nav system like, fails. Like very like, specific. The the less, like the more professional way for a recording to maybe realistically say that is like, please rest assured that your flight will be safe as we yeah. have checked all the, the, the tires. It's like, Fuck you! I paid for this, assuming that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It, it's not a bonus to know that I'm gonna get there alive. It's, right. It's like it's a requirement. I would have been like, I would have been like, yeah. You've got robots with guns. You better fucking know that nothing's gonna go wrong. I don't need you to tell me <laughs> that. I I assumed that when I trusted you with my life that nothing would go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I really hated that that method of foreshadowing because that's obviously what it's there for. Right. Right. And that's funny that you brought that up because that actually kind of indicates another bad that maybe I had with the plot as I feel like maybe instead of trying to make it so the park itself was completely fail safe that no guests would ever get hurt, I think they should have wrote in a way that indicated that no, like you can get hurt. If you really want to be thrilled and excited, if you're like a real like tough motherfucker, you're going to come to our park. You right. might get shot. You might get in a fight, you know? <laughs> right. This Like this is not for the timid, you know? Yeah. Should like, have at least is- showed some like s- signing some waivers or something. Yeah, yeah. Right. That could have added to your whole thing where where I think you both said it now, where it's yeah. like, you know, you praised Creighton for kind of like catching those things that we would have made fun of otherwise, you know? Like signing a waiver, for example, like that could have been a good way to kind of I mean that this'll come up in my questionable. But yeah. That's well, my but also bad. I was gonna say Go ahead. but at the same time though, that does kind of add to the whole point of this movie is it's one of the ideas it's trying to kind of highlight here is that people go into these sort of experiences just being completely blindingly trusting trusting oh it'll have It'll be fine, you know, nothing, like you were saying, nothing could go wrong. And then look, right. uh, obviously yeah, shit's other- going to go wrong. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, the consumer is a dumbass, but at right. the same time, it's like, it's like on the other end, there's also this, like this overstepping, like need to like create the perfect experience at the same time. And it's like, it's yeah. like, there's like a, like an ego maniacal point there almost yeah where it's like it's like you really think that you're gonna pull this off you really do right uh okay well cool uh so let's move on to questions john 
let's bring it back up to you. What did, what questions do you got? All right, I've got a few here, so I'm going to just rattle them off. The, this this is a, a Brandon style qualm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm gonna sure. I'm gonna I'll be yeah. the judge of that. <laughs> right in the beginning, right in the beginning, he he mentions like something about his ex wife and or P- Peter does, yeah. And his his friends, John's response is it's like, "Come on, man! Like it's been six months. You're still thinking about it. You're still thinking about the kids. It's like, give the fucking guy a break. If you're <laughs> if you're losing your kids and your wife and a bunch of money." Like, don't don't ever tell them to get over it. Like, I, I hope if only six months has passed, those you know little people you helped create and the person you helped create them with is still tangentially in your mind somewhere. <laughs> Otherwise, you're a fucking sociopath. Exactly. <laughs> this guy's friend is asking him not to be human. All of a sudden, it's right. like, and he didn't even really go into it that hard. I mean. I could understand if his response was maybe like, "Hey, man, it's it's pretty shitty, but like, let's try to just block that out for a few days." But yeah. he's like, he's over here, like, literally criticizing them for having a soul. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> you're here to you're here to fuck whores and shoot criminals. <laughs> get, get that hag out of your mind, you're two fucking right? yappy yes. bastards. Say, knock it off, faggot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Why don't you grow a thicker skin, you faggot? <laughs> so, so yeah, that was my first. Um, another thing that I don't think – I don't know if you guys will agree with this or not. But when when he's asking about the guns and he's explaining – his friend is explaining the sensor and how it, it's it's fine, you know. He asks him, he's like, go ahead and try it. Shoot me. If you are not a hundred percent sure, or at least vaguely skeptical that this is going to work, are you really pointing a loaded gun at your friend and pulling the trigger? Like, yeah. I don't care. I don't care what you say about the sensor. If you're, if you need to be convinced, and that's the way. All right, fine. Test it out. Shoot me. <laughs> like, you're not. You're not pointing that gun at someone you care about and pressing the fucking button. Yeah. Yeah. I think the one thing that gives me a pass there is that John has already been there. So maybe through his foolish attempts, he already tried it, you know, and I can, I can see friends talk, being able to talk friends into the dumbest shit, you know? <laughs> yes. But, but see, the thing is, is like, yeah, I mean, you have a point there. I just, I, maybe I'm just putting myself into it too much, but I'm thinking like, if I'm if I'm trying to be convinced that this works, I don't think that's what I'm willing to risk to test it out. Yeah. Why don't you try shooting something like a little less, I don't know, uh susceptible to to catastrophic failure first. Exactly. Yeah, shoot shoot a beer can out back. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> Yeah, so that was another one. Um this kind of goes into what you were saying Adam about like you know, maybe it should have been more like you, you can get hurt here, but yeah, yeah, the idea about like, you know, not being able to shoot real people is one thing. What about just brawling with other citizens? How about stabbing them? 
Yeah, we're, we're, we're talking yeah. about a situation where you could get in a bar fight and not really know if there's a robot or a human in front of you. I mean, like, we're talking about a, an amusement park that's supposed to be safe, but now you're also not really answering for the fact that people's jaws are going to get busted. People are falling down the stairs, falling through <laughs> windows, like the bar fight violence. Not to mention the one thing that they don't cover is like, what about crossfire? Crossfire is yeah. great. How about you, you this? Shoot it. They're, 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 they're explaining it that the sensor prevents the bullet from going out. But they're not explaining the fact that if you have a gunfight, fine, you aim at a target and you shoot. <laughs> and it allows the bullet because it's not a person. What about the person that's eventually going to step in the way of that bullet yeah. during right. like a shootout? Like, well, and to that point, what if the fucking – opponent of the gunslinger is really shitty. The gunslinger's pulled, he's drawn on him. I mean, is it possible that the human could, you know, be so bad at marksmanship or not get his gun out of the holster because he doesn't have the string tie that <laughs> now it's to the point where the gunslinger is going to shoot his gun and mm -hmm. would, would he just shoot the person? You know, um, what's going to happen there? Is he going right, to wait exactly. around for the other person to pull his gun out? There's there's some holes here, and this yeah. is this is part of them for me. Um, so, yeah, that, I think we're all on the same page there. Uh, I haven't heard anybody object. Um, the last thing, and this is kind of like a funny one for me. I I'm not convinced of this. This is just kind of like you guys might disagree, but – are we really supposed to believe that this staff is unable to control even their own security, let alone the power grid for their entire operation? Like, yeah. I get, I get it. Malfunctions, right? New technology. But this thing really fucking falls apart uh, to, the point where, to, to the point where it literally cooks the staff. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, come on. Are we really uh, – the, the this boneheaded staff is really not even able to get their doors unlocked? Like – Yeah. I, I just – I don't really buy it. Uh, that's a good point. I mean and it makes – it leaves something to be desired in that I like when things don't have just an explanation. Sometimes there doesn't need to be an explanation. But does – Every piece of AI, like in Maximum Overdrive, just have something against humans, you know, <laughs> right down yeah. to the in, in, the infrastructure is going to fail them so they don't have AC and the doors are locked and they asphyxiate yeah. to death. What yeah. is going on there? And And for there to be such a catastrophic disparity from when they're having their roundtable and there was point – 3% failure or whatever, you know, at this world and that world. And then it rose a little bit to just immediate grid failure. Right. Exactly. That's, that's what kind of what I'm getting at. And also like, just to, just to really go out there, you're, you're incapable of breaking a glass door open. Like dude, that guy, got, I wish I could computers a, throw one through the fucking door, a fucking push cart. <laughs> Something, a fire extinguisher. That guy they uses, never, he grabs his wrist and he slams his elbow like a battering ram into the door. 
I, I don't see how that's, uh, why don't you use your fucking foot? You know, you right, might yeah. not compound fracture your arm trying yeah. to smash through a steel door. Well, well, we tried everything, guys. We're suffocating. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Throw in the yeah. towel. It's over. Fucking break yeah. the window. And it's one guy that we see trying. Everybody else is just looking at the computer going, well, I don't know. Right. And you know what? <laughs> it, it, you know, to go to go like the Donner Party route here. Like if we're all gonna die anyways, then fucking throw one of your friends through the door. Yeah, why not? That yeah. that, yeah, that use, dude was on use his last Bob leg. as a battering ram. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, that's my last. That's my last questionable. I, I I don't. I know that like all movies have to have essentially things go wrong in order to make the movie interesting, but I I don't really buy that that this staff was that stupid. If you're smart enough to create a robot, you're smart enough to plan for a power failure and still yeah. be able to escape a hot room. Right. Right. Um, okay. Well, I, Adam, it's quick draw here. Are you going or am <laughs> I going? Cause I got some things to, to uh, roll out. Well, I did want to make a point though, about that statement that you just said that yes, in theory, you would think that geniuses that cr- could create highly advanced androids and AI would also be smart enough to get out of a locked, hot, hermetically sealed room. But as evidenced by what's happening right now, we have some of our brightest minds creating AI, and they themselves are being like, oh, well, I guess we fucked up. So yeah. there is this I, right. there is this duality to genius where especially if it's at the service of capital where they're like yeah we can make these like brilliant computers and these highly advanced devices but could it contribute to you know the worsening of climate change might yeah. Who the fuck and, knows? And and also, <laughs> yeah, and also to support that, seems like these nerds are are good pencil pusher data guys. They're good with data. They're not good right. on their they're not good for thinking on their feet. Right. Yeah. So yep. so maybe that isn't that unrealistic. That the the, the 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 white lab coat guys would just cook themselves and wouldn't be able to figure I mean, because think about it, how many of those fucking nerds do you do you think know how to fight? Right. So, right. you know, <laughs> you know what? Anyway, I'm going to I'm going to do the classic sold. Sold. Yeah. Sold. You've con- we've convinced him. Yeah. You you got me. You got me uh, right there. Uh yeah, go ahead Brandon. You can you okay. can rapid fire. All right. So, uh two major points that I wanted to touch on that haven't been touched on here. Um the first being that okay, this is an adult playground or whatever. But that doesn't convince me that people don't still have fundamental moral boundaries and that, oh, I'm going to go to I'm going to go to Westworld. Uh, I don't see any couples going there. It's like bachelors or wife goes off to Roman world while I'm in Westworld and we're going to just bang and shoot and drink and do whatever it is we want. And then come back to the civilized world and everything's fine. If this is so real that the people in their testimonials of the commercial can't even definitively tell you if they shot humans or robots, do you think that these dudes are going to be 
or these women are going to be fine with their husbands or wives or respective partner going off and just fucking and like having a completely unsurveilled uh, experience for, you know, a week or however long. I don't buy that for a second. Like, yeah, yeah, honey, I was in a whorehouse and then I got into a fucking bank robbery. It was great. <laughs> I mean, what does that say about humans? You know, it's like the I mean, big argument in the 90s about video games being too violent, that, you know, and stuff. It's like, well, but there's a certain aspect of nature where people obviously are seeking this out. The, the debauchery, they want the debauchery. And if it's this real, I think there'd be some like divorces and splitting up happening after coming back from the worlds. I mean, how do you know that these things aren't happening though? I don't. I only have the information we're given presented in the film. <laughs> but well, I don't know, man. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and say that it's you you're putting a surprising amount of faith in humanity because to me I would expect people to do worse. Yeah, well, here's the thing is that <laughs> they this is totally elective. They don't have to do this. So if this thought hasn't even crossed their minds before signing up to go to this big kid's playland, um, I, I just, I can't, I can't see that actually happening. That's like saying, Hey honey, what do you think about an orgy? Because orgies well, happen now. They're legal. A lot, most people don't do them. This yeah. is my retort to that. And it goes back to what I was saying about how, this is this movie is also a discussion about what I consider the elite or very wealthy people because clearly only highly wealthy individuals can go to this resort. And it is to me a commentary about how a lot of those people are fundamentally pretty morally bankrupt. That's how I would take it. Yeah. They don't give a fuck. I could see that. So and like and but, like and maybe the the relationships that you speak of, Brandon, it's like they're fucking dead anyways. Right. You know? <laughs> so it's like it's like the, I mean, actually, I never thought about this before, but that could be the whole reason that they even have that older couple kind of looking at each other like, "All right, you go your separate ways. I don't want to fucking think about you until this trip is over." Yeah. You know? <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. I feel like people put of any class uh, you know, capital aside, I think people put their family and um, their uh, fidelity, things like that, at a pretty high bar, whether there be f financial um, benefit in their lives or, or not. And so I think that that would just come first before a lot of these people even considering going to do this. I think the best way I can th I can make an analogy is is yeah, like kinky shit. People clearly it's been proven people think of sex constantly. And things they want to do, fantasy and reality are totally different for people. You know, you wouldn't just run out most people wouldn't just, "Hey honey, what do you think about a gangbang tonight?" I think about it a <laughs> lot. You know, what do you think? That's kind of like what we're talking about here. Like, let's go to this Wild West town for a week and just shoot 
and fucking whatever. Uh, and you go off to Roman world and just fuck whoever you want. Yeah, but I think it just goes back to what I was just saying. We're not talking about most people. We're not talking about your everyday Joe that's going here. We're talking about people that are in they're in a certain status in society where they they want to be able to they want to be able to escape escape in this way that they don't have any repercussions for their moral bankruptcy. Yeah, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mirror Adam on that. I, I get what you're, I get what you're saying, Brandon, and I don't want to like gang up on you. Obviously, no, you can but gang I will up. Say that that humanity is so fucked in my eyes, and like, yeah, I mean, I, I actually disagree with Adam. I don't think that you have to be in the elite moral bankrupt to to also be tempted and even indulge in something like this. I think that. I think that all people, I think that all people, I mean, people, you know, men that go on all guys vacations, like are absolutely cheating on their partners while they're out there. Like, I mean, that's just like, if like, I mean, I think that my point is, is that most people are morally bankrupt and then there's a small people that aren't. And I think that the three of us are probably in the minority that we would even consider stuff like this. Well, why are you thinking about that? <laughs> the jury's out if I am morally bankrupt or not. Think about this. <laughs> the other questionable, it's, it's pretty big for me, is that John chooses dynamite to blow his fucking friend out of jail in his small, <laughs> tiny cell in which when there's a large firework that goes off, say like an M80 or something, you can feel the concussion within a certain distance. They say that a, a stick of dynamite is something like 10 times what that is. And he is in a cell that's a little larger than a piece of plywood. He's going to blast himself out to then only then end up shooting the sheriff anyway. Why didn't John just walk in and let the sheriff do his song and dance and then just shoot him, take the keys and open the fucking gate? Yeah. It's a very, very good question, my friend. That's, that you know? is a good, good question. Think about the blast casualties. The radius of the blast could have killed all kinds of other people on the street. I guess they that's fine because they've already surpassed the fact that these aren't real people. We can now just be bad guys, and we've killed a bunch of civilians on the street with flying brick and shrapnel and whatever else. It also, yeah, it also adds to my question earlier about like, okay, fine, the guns don't go off right. towards people, yes. but it's like, what about all the other chaos that could potentially? There's a dynamite force field, <laughs> like a yeah. sensor, or kill a regular civilian that is nearby. Yeah, right. Um, uh, yeah, how about if somebody chucks someone off a fucking water tower, or <laughs> you, you, your, your horse, you know, gets bit by a snake and you fall off into the canyon is there going to be some force field that stops you uh, yeah right, <laughs> right. that's yeah, that's we're not, we're not talking about, we're not talking about a fucking 
foam foam pit. Yeah. Now, <laughs> you know? that, that is my critique questions. And I have one more question just as a question, and then we can move on. So that it was easy enough for Peter to escape Westworld on into the other worlds. It says on the sign, now leaving Westworld, guests not permitted or whatever. But how would anybody know if he's not enjoying his experience that he didn't just sneak out over to medieval world or Roman world or something? I mean, if you paid for one, why can't you just try them all? You know, that's a, that's a Brandon question. I like that. Oh, wait a minute. That, that reminds me of one other major question. I'm going to, this is going to be like fan of the gun, quick fire. Okay. (laughs) You see the scene, and I appreciate that they show the cleanup crew come out at night after the bank robbery and the brothel scene. But how do they know that everyone's asleep and is not going to see that? I thought of that, too. You know, yeah. and then when the dude wakes up next to the the pros the next day and he's like, oh, what? And then he smiles. Oh, yeah. OK, yeah, that happened. I got laid. What if he tried to wake her up? It seems like the robots all get shut down at a certain time of night. So she's just laying in his bed, just dead to the world, you know, and then gets restarted at, you remember, go three, go two, activate now. And all the robots come back in the morning. What about that prostitute that's laying in dude's bed? (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to address the first question you asked about the cleanup crew. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't necessarily think that they're operating in that way strictly as like in stealth mode. I think that it's like it's like when uh you know when you know they're going they're going to have to come out in a time when most people are not out just to not disturb or interrupt the the vacation. So element. it's you like know, the equivalent or, of the janitor cleaning the popcorn up. Exactly. Yeah. That's what, that's what pictures. When, I, when I paused there, I was trying to think of a good example, but yes, it's like, it's like, I don't think that anybody's like in the staff is going to be bent out of shape. If somebody looks out the window and says, Oh shit, this is a real thing that has to get cleaned up. Like, I think there's like an assumption that like, okay, you st- even the, as real as it is, or as real as it se- seems, every guest there still knows that they're on vacation at an amusement park while they're there. You know, they're not trying to full on trick you into like not even being aware that you're that you're at an amusement park. Okay, so that, that's how okay. I address that. Fine, but what about the shutdown and everything? Well, that's what I was going to – I'm not sure what you mean by that. Like do the robots get shut down at a certain point or – It's what it it looked like because there's that countdown inside the control room and the guy goes, you know, and activate and now and then it's the next morning and everyone's waking up and so are all the robots. I mean that's – You know, what if if there was a backed up shitter – and you need someone to fix it. Well, all the robots are shut down. You're going to have a negative experience. True. Or if somebody really, you know, wants to, you know, 
you know, to get get busy at 4 a.m., you yeah. know, like they're going to be like, what the fuck? She's broken. Right. Well, hey, my, my, my girlfriend, she only lets me sleep with her when she's asleep. And she sleeps I mean, a lot. <laughs> the bad experience is, a, is, the, is the best part of that question because I've been at hotels where like the hot water was, was out at a certain point and it's like okay like yes shit happens but i'm literally paying you so i can take a shower anytime i want while i'm here yeah you know so bad yelp review anyway that's it that's all i got okay i like i want to wrap this up real quick a couple rapid fire ones that goes back to uh my bad about the believability of the advance of how advanced robots were okay I have a question. You don't have to answer it, but think about it. It's just a kind of a rhetorical. How would you feel about fucking a robot? Okay. To which I say, if the robot is so realistic that you can fuck it and not think anything of it, then how is it that you can cause one to malfunction by simply giving it water? Yeah. I.e. question. The one that was imprisoned at the very end. Yeah. So that's what yeah. I was saying about the believability of it. Okay. So, they're advanced enough that, like, you're basically like, okay, this is like, I'm like, I got my dick in a real pussy. Yeah. But I could just, like, what, spit in its mouth and it's going to fucking fry its circuitry? Come on, man. Yeah. Well, I would say that there's one point where the R&D guys go, oh, it's when the um, medieval world, when the one robot malfunctions and, and uh, denies the seduction of a guest. And they go, oh, and, yeah. it's a, and it's that. a sex robot. So maybe there's a difference between the damsel and the medieval, the the oubliette or whatever. But I don't believe that any guest would have the fantasy to not save the girl and not fuck her. You know what I mean? Why would they put a non-sex robot in the fucking dungeon? Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm glad you brought that up because that's uh, that's going to come up in a little bit. Okay. Okay. All right. Just Yeah. But yeah, okay. no, I – it's a that's that's a good question. Okay, so we we good ready uh, to move on. Let let I want to throw this in just to throw back into bads for me. Um, it was very underwhelming the sulfuric acid burn to Yule Brenner the gunslinger's face. Like yeah, it looked good, and then he turns around and they, they spend some time looking at that. But then when you see him after that, you can see he's burned. But I was hoping to see, you know exoskeleton terminator style because they yep. showed all of the circuitry you know and stuff like that um so i was i was disappointed with that and i think that it would have it was a disservice to use all the computer graphics to show his pixelated ass point of view <laughs> he's such a good shot but he's working with like eight bit fucking vision are you kidding me yeah yeah so, I thought about those all as well. So glad you brought those up. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. Okay. Are you speaking to me? None other, sir. Uh, Look, I'm hungry, and I... Prepare for thy doom, thy scurrilous name. Let's move on, then, uh, to the back half of our little program here. And it's going to be our awards and categories section, but we're going to start it off at the top with the quotes. I only had one, and this was from John. 
to Peter. And it was when he said, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying with what you thought was bad writing with the bad foreshadowing, but where he says, there's no way to get hurt here. Just enjoy yourself. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean I, that's, that's a better, deal. that's better foreshadowing coming from a, your friend to me. Yeah. That's what I was just, just about to say. Like, it doesn't enrage me because of the fact that it's something that a friend would say to an, another friend who had been there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it's, 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 it's a, it's a more intelligent way to foreshadow, which is kind of what I, what I was getting at. It's like, you don't need this stupid fucking thing in here, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's all I got. Yeah. I, I honestly didn't ha- have any quotes. I didn't, I don't, with as much comedic relief as they provide, there there probably could have been a lot more funny quotes, like potential in this movie, and that just didn't deliver for me. Like, there's not a lot of quotes in this movie for me. Yeah, I agree. There's not a lot of not a lot of zingers to be provided. Um, yeah, I didn't write down a quote, but just the whatever John says because he's so excited to go to the brothel, and then you know after. They're done banging, I guess, and Arletta, um, Peter's, you know, robot mistress leaves, and John comes in. Well, how was it? And this that whole scene where he says something like, uh, you know, machines are are gods to men, or some shit like that. It's like, jeez, <laughs> you are a fucking horn ball. <laughs> that whole scene was pretty hum- humorous, but I didn't. I write actually. It down. I actually thought it was funny the way that he that Peter just he's like at one point he's like this place is really fun yeah well uh, yeah in the beginning and the testimonials from the visitors where the guy uh you know I shot six men there well they were robots well I think they were no I'm sure that they were robots it's like he's trying to convince himself as he's giving his testimonial. That's pretty funny. It made me laugh. Yeah. I actually had in my questions who your favorite interviewees were, but I just kind of wanted to get through that. Uh, Cause there was the three people, you know, that they talked to. Oh yeah. Uh, but yeah, that they, guy was funny. They were all funny. Okay. Uh, the Derek Zoolander award for the biggest idiot in the movie. I, I don't know. What, what did you guys say? Uh, I, I was going to say John because he's full hook, line, and sinker, believing that all of his shit is fine. I only see yeah. him over Peter because Peter's never been there. John just takes it on as a matter of course, and then he comes back, and like you said earlier, John, <laughs> shoot me. <laughs> you know, just, yeah, try it. It's like You don't have this inkling that something could go wrong, you know? He's pretty happy-go-lucky. Yeah. Well, I, I would say, because we brought it up, I guess the lab coat guys, because yeah, that was mine. We, you, 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 yeah, you got lab coat guys can't right. figure out how to get out of the fucking headquarters. Right, biggest rube in the movie goes to the chief supervisor and the staff in general. In my opinion, <laughs> there you go. Way to fuck up. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a pretty big boner. I don't think they'll be walking back anytime <laughs> soon. Yeah, uh, the Joseph. <laughs> The Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat Award for Best Wardrobe and Makeup. I gave it to Yule Brenner, yes. the gunslinger. Yeah, that's me too. I uh, 
he's he's looking good. First of all, he's a strapping man, in my opinion. Secondly, he is a intimidating, uh, daunting character in this film. So right on, right on with the costume uh, department there. Yeah, the the all black, the all black like cowboy rig. Yeah, and the mirrored eyes and and most yeah, kind of kind of adds to the the menacing. And his and his like fully white horse at the end, kind of yeah. cool too. Yeah, yeah. Or it's like it's like a like almost like a like a cream colored horse, right? Pretty cool. What um, did you have, John? I didn't actually have anything for this, so that I'm I'm with you guys on that. Okay, Cosmo Kramer Award for the most likely to appear in a Seinfeld episode. This is another one where I was kind of stumped. So save me. What do uh, you guys have? Well, I, I always go back to Elaine's dumbass boyfriends. And <laughs> okay. um, I feel like Peter could be that. Just this kind of fucking wafy, wet noodle guy that Elaine dates. I, I would see either <laughs> of the leading men, uh, not Ewell, but um, either <laughs> Peter or John being in a Seinfeld episode. I said, uh, I said the banker, which which is uh, Dick Van Patten's character. Mm. Um, I said, I said him because I mean, he's just kind of like a, a goofy. I don't know. When it comes to Seinfeld, the only way I can ever answer this question is if I just kind of think about either like the logistics of the show, like which is what you did, Brandon, or sometimes I just think about the vibe of Seinfeld and who's a perfect match for it. Sure. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like Dick Van Patten's character is the only one I could really come up with. Yeah, I think that's where I was kind of was going with in my mind, but I wasn't really sure. So I agree. There we go. Okay, the Danny Trejo Award for the character most likely to have a spinoff. Once again, I just said the Gunslinger. Well, uh, so. it kind of. I mean, they have Future World. And Yule Brenner right. is in that. I was going to say that, but I, I, I wasn't sure if it would really count because with the gunslinger kind of comes the entire R&D crew. You know, so whether it be gunslinger himself or just the idea of the R&D lab coat guy having a spinoff, you know, of another world with a Yule Brenner-like gunslinger, not necessarily him. Yeah. I could see that too. Well, I mean... We we actually have a real life spinoff though of the whole movie. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> when you say spinoff, I think of like TV show. Yeah, me too. And also like another like different approach that I have like that wouldn't work with the gunslinger is that like a spinoff I I associate with being from the point of view of this as the main character. Right. And I I don't like even even when you think about a movie like The Terminator like. Okay, Arnold Schwarzenegger is obviously like billed as the as the top lead, yeah. but the Terminator isn't the point of view. It's right. Sarah, you know, like he's not yeah. the main character. It's uh, Sarah. I, so, you might even be able to argue in the first one, it's Sarah and Reese because they have this right, exactly. But it's like it's mm. like it's really it would be a tough sell to have the point of view of a main lead be in from a cyborg that like barely speaks. Right. Yeah, you know? that's a good point. So, I agree. Yeah, my mine. I went to I, with this. I said the chief supervisor because I think you could you could have a pretty good show where the main lead 
is the chief supervisor of an amusement park, which, you know, having seen the show, a lot of the point of view is from some of the staff mm. on the show. Yeah. So, True. you know, I think it works, you know? Right. Yeah, I agree. That's good. Good point. Um, I like that you were able to define what would create somebody ideal for a spinoff in that way. All right. And at the top of the wiki wormhole, we have the body count. Do we count the robots? Uh, no. no, I don't think so. Well, but we did Deadly Friend. True, we did. <laughs> but she was human before. Okay. So well, all that a, aside, a bit of a gray area all there. that aside, I think it's undeterminable because we don't know how many people were in each world. And they all, yeah. from what we know, including R&D staff, were killed. Right. I For this one, I went with three. Um, we got, we got, you know, we got James Brolin, we got John, we got the, the, the tech guy on the little, the little golf cart. Yeah. But what about the medieval times guy that gets stabbed in the chest? He's he's the third. He's the third. Well, that would be four tech guy. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. So those are the, those are the three. And then in parentheses, I have plus the massacre scene in Roman world, because that's the only time that we see humans being killed in this movie. And it's undeterminable how many deaths there really are there. But what about medieval world? Are we just to assume that no one was there? We no, we don't, but we don't actually see. I mean, by your, by that logic, like every movie has an undeterminable because in that universe, somebody could have died. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. That's that's splitting hairs. I think. I, I'm going to bet at this point. I'm going to bet because because here's the thing: the body count is is who do we see die in this movie? Okay, okay, but well, so hypotheticals don't exactly work. Yeah, but, but yeah, but but I we know that we know that three humans die because we see it, and we also see. A lot of people die in Roman world, but it's undeterminable because you can't really keep track of it. Adam, Similar to please we were talking weigh in about. on this. Be the be the freaking voice of reason here. Yeah, dude. Well, also, what about all the lab tech people that die? We yeah. see how many oh, are shit. there. Right. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> well, they're fucking idiots, so fuck them, right? <laughs> no, no okay. I, I literally forgot about that as part of the body count. So, yes, it is more than three. I, but I, I, I'm yeah. curious if you can weigh in on this debate that my best friend and I are having. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that it's just in general indeterminate, that it's a large amount of deaths. Yeah. You can't can't quantify it. Right. So I think that it's safe to wager that this is not like Disneyland. This isn't accessible to thousands upon thousands of people because of the price point. So I'm Mm going to say in each world, collectively, hundreds of people have died. R&D crew, three (laughs) resort worlds combined. I think it's in the hundred plus range that you could assume yeah, but I'm sorry. I have to. I have to. I have to be a bastard here. Are we redefining now what the what 
the body count stat is now because we're talking about the the body count is is who do we see die in this movie? Yeah, not who do we think dies in this movie? Yeah, yeah, I get you, but we do see an yeah. uncountable amount of human deaths just in the R and D, just in the R and D lab it's itself you see people laying over computers on the floor against the wall and then when you see roman world on the closed circuit situation or whatever you see a bunch right. of people laid out we, we didn't stop yeah. to count them but you know right of course no that that's that's what i mean is that um it is undeterminable because of that but yeah all right i'm on the same page with you guys okay. maybe all right. <laughs> Maybe this will come up for discussion, I'm sure, at another time. Okay, so we got the wiki wormhole. Uh, I'm sure you got plenty. I just wanted to add one that maybe you guys didn't think of. But did you know that Alan Oppenheimer, who plays the the chief lab technician, he was like actually a very well-known voice art uh, actor, and he was the voice of Skeletor on Masters of the Universe. Ah, I didn't know that. I did not know that, and I would never know that. So that's awesome. So I just wanted I've to throw got, that one in there. I've got a, I've got a list going. If you want me to rattle them off, uh, rattle them just, off. My let friend. me just say my one, just because um, I, there's a lot to be said here, but it's just to add to something you said earlier. Among the other, uh, you know, people who have taken nods from this for their. Um, cues for roles in future films john carpenter based uh yes michael myers in the original halloween on yule brenner's gunslinger character i thought that was uh, now that i think about it in that light it i can see it completely that he is only focused on the pursuit that every other humanly aspect is dissolved away i thought that's pretty cool Totally. Yeah, that was one of mine. So okay, took ahead. that off of my hands. Um, Adam mentioned Arnold Schwarzenegger basing Terminator on Yule Brenner's performance as well. So I, I thought, you know, that was one of mine as well. Um, a thing that I, I, I liked about, uh, that I in, uh, found interesting, this movie takes place in 1983. Hmm. So it actually takes place 10 years after it was made. Um. This was the first use of computer digitized uh, images in a feature film. And on average, it took eight hours to produce 10 seconds of the view of, of, you, of the gunslinger. Right. Yeah. And that's, a, that's a fucking time-consuming, not big payoff. <laughs> totally. Right. It's diminishing returns because in my opinion, it should have just not been there. I, you know what though? I actually – We'll backpedal and say I do. I do like that part of it. I, I do like it. I, I like the the pixelated view. It's not realistic, to, like when it comes to the gunslinger shot, like you said, Adam. But I do think it's cool. I Could do it, think it, it makes used to been like sixty four bit. You remember when we went from the Nintendo <laughs> from the N sixty four, and you're like, this is just like real life because you didn't know any better. Yeah, we didn't we didn't know that in real life it, it doesn't actually look like Minecraft. <laughs> um, but yeah, um a few others here. This is this is interesting. So it's a thousand dollars a day, which is like, you know, not really a big deal now, but the, the actual equivalent with inflation 
is $6,475 a day right. is what it would cost people in today's world to go there. Yeah. So, And some of those yeah, people fucking, were saying they were there for like two weeks in the testimonials. Yeah, rich ass scum. Die. Die in Roman <laughs> world. Yeah. For all I can. Um, so this is a, something that I found interesting. So there's actual – and I, I don't watch the show enough to know this. So this was interesting to me. There's Easter eggs in the TV show that actually indicate that this isn't necessarily – that the show isn't necessarily a reboot, but it's actually a sequel to this movie. Oh, yeah. Which oh, I, yeah. I thought was cool. And then finally, this is something that I think everybody already knows for the most part, but I didn't know this uh, – the sequel, Future World, that came out in 1976. I haven't actually seen the, the, the sequel. Yeah. So, uh, is it a Crichton? Is it also Crichton? Did he direct it? It is not. Oh, uh, but yeah. Yul Brenner reprises his role, if I read it correctly. Correct, but yeah, none of the the writing and directing associated with the first movie had anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry Fonda's the lead in it. I actually have watched it, but like, I watched it kind of as background noise. Yeah. So I couldn't I mean, really tell you I much can, about it. In my head, I'm expecting it to be one of those like hidden gem, like Halloween three type of movies, right. you know, like where it's like, oh shit, this is a classic, you know. So yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because when I was thinking about you choosing this movie for the podcast, Future World actually has the potential to be what is more like what we consistently try to like talk about is those hidden gems those weird sequels that need to be revisited and reappraised so right who knows? yeah whereas this movie was kind of like you know almost like borderline you know i guess we'll get to that when we ask is this a midnight flick <laughs> um, well yeah and we are but, at that part unless you have anything else um i, yeah, I thought we were yeah when I, do we could you, we were doing a lot of that today. We can edit this part out. But yeah, uh, talking sorry, stick. Okay. With yeah. editing out, I want to edit this back into my questionable. And I'll put it out real quick. So medieval world, you see when the, you know, the Duke or the King or whatever, whoever he is, the guest is trying to seduce Daphne and she um, turns him down. You know, you see the monitor of that. So is that to suggest that they have got, cameras in everyone's rooms when they're fucking and absolutely you know i mean wouldn't that bother any of these rich people or again does it just play into their hubris that yeah i mean it's i can do this like that would also be like despicably illegal that's right exactly where's the fucking waivers for this shit yeah well but that's the thing though it doesn't go into it but maybe there is this implied idea that they do have to they do have to kind of sign on the dotted line for certain things or to be able to enjoy the amenities. Be, right. Or if you want to be particularly pessimistic towards just people in general, but especially the rich, richy, rich people, maybe it's suggested that they're into that kind of thing. They're all into a sex cult, you know, if because you, they're yeah. fucking if rich. You don't want a room, if you don't want a room full of technicians looking at your creepy, crooked penis, yeah. maybe this place isn't the one for you. <laughs> um, that is one thing that I do like about the TV show, and I honestly haven't watched any seasons beyond the second one because it gets really convoluted 
But with the TV show, they have more time and ability to kind of go into those even more tiny little details about why this would make sense in a real life scenario. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, who knows? Okay. So that, yeah, go ahead. Uh, we're going to get, we're going to get to the part where we got to rate this and we got to come up with an iconography. So out of five, what do we rate yeah. this movie? John, I'm going to go ahead and say five disappointing rejections by a sex robot specifically intended for human pleasure. All right. That's a good one. I like that. Uh, Brandon. Oh, I was just going to say five catastrophically failed malfunctioning horses because it is hilarious that there's an entire whole ass fucking horse on a slab in the R and D department being fixed. All right. I was going to, I was going to go with out of five crispy fried melted gunslinger robots out of, out of five crispified Yule Brenner face pieces (laughs) burnt to a crisp Brenner's. Um, John, this is your movie. So we'll go with the, uh, the, the, uh, unrequited, uh, jilted (laughs) sex robot. We can just reject, rejections by a sex robot. <laughs> Out of five rejections by a sex robot, what do you give this, John? This is your movie. I give it four and a half, my highest ever rating. Bravo, Westworld. Look what you've done. Brandon. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm going to give it a four. Four sex rejects. Um, <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised by this movie and the story. I liked it a lot. I'm I'm going to be the naysayer. I'm going to give it a three and a half sex rejects. That's not so not bad. bad, though. Still not bad. Yeah. You gave oh, it a good still, college try. You got yeah, you, it's still, you know. still, Yeah, good, good enjoyable movie. Yeah, overall, like the weighted average is on the higher end of the spectrum for sure. Yeah, okay. that's great. So is this a midnight movie, though? Oh, fuck no. You kidding me? You guys I think fucked. it's... I think it's an eleven o'clocker. What is 10, wrong? 10, 11 what? o'clocker? Right. What You're is right. wrong with you guys? It's a PG picture. I mean, I get the the content is more suggestive, but I see this as like a middle of the afternoon TNT fits right in the block of Turner Classic movies, right in the middle of the day. Okay. It's it's not just about that though for me. It's about the the general vibe and creepiness of the movie, the unsettling nature oh, yeah. of how it's done. I don't like, I don't deny that. I don't deny that at all. But free wheelie is unsettling to me. And uh, <laughs> I mean, I, that's a kid's I agree. Film. It's an unsettlingly terrible movie. But <laughs> um, let me let me just say this: when we uh, when we discuss like the time that this movie comes on, I always, the way that I determine that is I always imagine if I'm home by myself, what vibe does this like, what can I picture, what time of night can I picture myself being home alone and having this come on the TV? Mm. And so I think I'm with Adam when I, when I think about 11 PM. Gotcha. 
But when 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 I initially said like you guys are fucked because he said absolutely not a, a, a midnight flick. I guess when I think about like yes or no with this, I don't necessarily think it's not a midnight flick if it doesn't come on at midnight. I thought you guys were basically saying like no, this is like a, a children's movie, which actually you started to say so. Yeah, I don't, I don't think know. it's a children's movie. I don't think it's so not like be- It's not like Best of the Best, which to me is squarely a daytime, early afternoon movie you watch with your pops or whatever. No, I, yeah, I, the thing <laughs> the thing for me is it got a PG rating, but it's not PG content. But the good, the bad, and the ugly comes on on TNT right in the middle of the day for all of the fucking retirees that want to watch it. I would imagine this would come right in there between Magnificent Seven and whatever the other goddamn Yule Brenner movie you brought up earlier was. <laughs> King and I. It would be a Brenner the block. Yeah, The King and I. It'd be a Brenner block, you know? Yeah. You know, I just – I'll – I think I'll continue to to do this part of it based on like the vibe that I get from the film rather than oh, I like that. And, and sometimes sometimes the logistics of when it would come on TV, but um, that's not necessarily always going to be the main factor for me. So yeah, I'm, I think I think I would say around eleven. Okay. It's okay. Well, there. Yeah, it's a it's a late ish movie. Okay, so. Gentlemen, as we had hashed out before all of this, it is back to my movie that we're going to talk about next week. And King I and was I. going through my list. <laughs> of course, King, the King and I, of course. The the King, yes, exactly. <laughs> Keep the Brenner brewing, um, you know. <laughs> Keep the Brenner brolling, um, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I was looking through my list and there was part of me that kind of wanted to keep with the theme, but since we are going to be, I don't know, wink, wink, going into a thematic uh, block here soon, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of go with something else. Uh, This is a real fun movie and I really am looking forward to talking about this one with you guys. And it's going to be the first Larry Cohen movie we discuss on the podcast. So, For next episode, we're going to watch Cue the Winged Serpent, Larry Cohen's 1982 movie. And it's a real fun ride. So I'm looking forward to talking about it with you guys. Good deal. Sounds good. Okay. This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for our outro music. Our band of the week this week is none other than John. A little pluggy plug. Yep, yep. Shameless plug here. We're going to go with Stomach, my uh, my sludge project. Um, not, you know, just had a, a new tape come out, and uh, we're going to be doing the second track, Bleached, off of that tape. Hope you like it. Yeah, it's good stuff. I'm not just saying that because I'm biased. I really, really do like stomach a lot. So give it a listen, buy a tape, whatever. Go and uh, suck John's dick however you feel fit. Suck his (laughs) robo-dick. Suck my fucking fucking cock. (laughs) 